Uh, we're going to be in Luke 1 today. This is verses 5 through 25, and this is the birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah in the first words, you know, and the angels always show up, what do they always say? Don't be afraid. Maybe he should have said something like, hey, you know, this is great news, your wife's going to have a baby, it's going to be awesome, and by the way, don't you dare question it, because I'm, gonna make you, I'm not going to make you allow you to speak if you say a word to me. Now, I always like, why did, why did Gabriel do that? I mean, we're going to read on Wednesday when Gabriel shows up to Mary. She asks a question. Did he make her go? No, he didn't do that. So my only guess is, maybe I can ask Pastor Shank about this. Because he was a holy man. That's why he did it to him. He's like, you should know better. You're going mute. I don't know why. Anyway, but everybody's freaking out, right? Because all of a sudden he can't speak until John the Baptist gets born. And... Uh, he, uh, he's, he gets to be born, and then on Luke, this is later on in the chapter, this is 63, he says, and, at, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. They want to name him Zachariah, right? And that's what you name him after his dad. And they're like, no. Elizabeth goes, it's John. And they're like, 
no, that can't be. And then he writes it down. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on their, on their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That is an appropriate question. What will this child be? Well, we all know probably quite a bit about John the Baptist. He's uh, interesting. Is that, is that, is that our uh, PC word for weird? Interesting? He's an interesting character. Uh, I mean, he, you know, when he gets to be a doll, he wanders out in the desert, and he's wearing the camel, uh, the camel skin or the camel uh, clothing, and then he's got the leather belt, and he's eating locusts and honey, and, you know, he sounds like kind of a, kind of a crazy dude out there, and then he starts his public ministry. This thing in verse 17 that is spoke from Gabriel confirms why John the Baptist is so, I don't know, important. It says, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom and just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. So John acted and looked like Elijah. We can even look back to 1 Kings 8. This is about Elijah. He wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So even John the Baptist acted like him. And if you know anything about Elijah, well, he wasn't afraid to say really hard things either. And he was a little different than the rest. Unfortunately, the bad thing about being a prophet Things usually end poorly for you. <laughs> That's just the way it is. That's historical throughout the Old Testament. It's going to be the same way for John. It's also going to be the same way for Jesus. Being a prophet of God, it's kind of like a job probably nobody really wants, but you're, you're going to be it when you're told by God, you're going to be my mouthpiece. The reason this is so important, the very last words of the Old Testament, everybody recognize these words? Very last two verses of the Old Testament. This is 400 years plus before John the Baptist. God was silent for 400 years. He had no prophet in the land. Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Peace out for 400 years. So all of a sudden, this guy shows up. He's kind of acting like Elijah. People are wondering, is this Elijah? What is his job? Well, he's supposed to prepare the people. And this is exactly what he was called to do. Now, did, did John and Jesus hang out? Everybody's kind of speculated about this. Well, we know Mary's going to go visit Elizabeth when she's about six months pregnant. That'll be the text on Wednesday if you want to come for Advent and continue on with this a narrative. Well, they were cousins, right? Jesus and John are cousins, and John's just a little bit older. And we know that Zechariah was one of the priests, and they would go to the temple. There would be at least three feasts a year that the Israelites would go up to Jerusalem for, and they'd have the Passover, obviously. They'd have the Feast of Weeks, which is seven weeks after the Passover, and that was the celebrate the giving of the Torah, the, the law to Moses. And then there'd be the Feast of Booths, which is uh, in the fall, it's like a harvest celebration, but they would live out in a tent for a week, just remind themselves of the 40 years in the wilderness. So I could kind of see Jesus 
and John, you know, their whole families go to Jerusalem together, and they travel together. We even see Jesus when he's 12 years old at the temple, and his parents leave him behind, right, because he's with the family group. And, you know, Uncle Zachariah is probably there too, and it's no big deal. So John and Jesus most likely knew each other really well, and they grew up together. But then um, I watched this little episode on The Chosen when John the Baptist has his own disciples, and they come to Jesus, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm in prison here, and uh, I thought you are coming to free the prisoners and, like, you know, be Messiah and, like, take over these people and what is going on. And so he asked Jesus, are you the one, or should we wait for somebody else? Well, this is kind of embarrassing for Jesus, potentially, isn't it? Because, like, uh, don't we know each other? Don't you know the plan? Isn't this making sense to you? And John's like, I don't get what's going on. John, all the disciples, doubting Thomas, and everyone who has come after that, Jesus is revealed only by Jesus, by the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what's Jesus say in response? Uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and do you know why he was in prison? Herod Antipas was, uh, well, he was doing some bad things, and John isn't afraid to call people out what he was doing. Uh, he was married, his um, Herodias, it, uh, she was his brother's wife. They were both married. That's adultery on both sides. What's even worse, it was his niece. He married as like, whoa. So he calls him out, and uh, John's getting popular. He's baptizing. He's, people are following him, and he throws him in prison because uh, he's a threat. And eventually that speech of repentance to the people was calling people to repent and be baptized preparing the kingdom, and that call of repentance to Herod is going to get him beheaded. So John is wondering, who is Jesus? I thought this isn't the way it's supposed to go. He's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be a, a new king. He's supposed to overthrow these people that are oppressing us. He's supposed to free the captives. What is going on here? And then in Matthew 11, 12, 2 through 15, this is Jesus' response. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words to his disciples, said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I'll pause there. Reed, that's like, was he wavering? <laughs> am, I, am I preparing the way or am I not preparing the way? Is this Jesus who I'm talking about or not? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet that he is the one whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, 
Yet the one at, who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. So John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet who bridges the gap to the New Testament. He is the one who's a figure of both Testaments, who's bridging this gap. He's the one who's pointing the way to the Messiah, preparing the way, calling people to repent. Now, Jesus is the first person to ever fill all three roles. Jesus is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. No one, else, no one has ever fulfilled all three of those roles. Well, what usually happens to prophets? They get killed by their own people. <laughs> this is what's going to happen to Jesus, too. Except he's different. He is a priest in the fact that he is making this once-for-all sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. This is what John the Baptist announces when Jesus comes to be baptized by him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John says, I'm not going to baptize you, Jesus. And Jesus said, yes, you will. To fulfill all righteousness, you will be baptizing me here today. And the voice of God speaks and says, this is my son in who I am well pleased. There are only a few times in scripture when we hear God the Father speak. In the New Testament, it's this one, and that is transfiguration. And then Jesus proceeds into his public ministry, immediately going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this repent and believe, I alluded to it in the confession absolution. How do we prepare our hearts for this season? How did John prepare the people for Christ? Repent, believe, and be baptized. And for all of us that do that and know that, remembering that is what makes you part of his family. That is what makes you valid. That is what makes it so when the second coming of Christ is not a surprise. God sent John the Baptist to prepare the people to tell them, hey, the Messiah is coming. I'm the best thing you got that's going to be doing that because there's no other prophets going to be coming to tell you, hey, Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Be awake. Be sober-minded. Don't be surprised. That day is coming. We all have fair warning. <laughs> the great news is that is a great and wondrous day for those that are as found to be in the light. In 1 Thessalonians 5, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are in all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So the last day is going to come, and as children of the light, it's the new heavens and the new earth. We won't be surprised, and it will be a day to rejoice, because all the sin and the death and all of the brokenness of this world will be restored, a new heavens, new earth. But that's it. No more time to repent. This is why they call us the church militant. We are militant about telling the world about 
this coming Christ who will judge the living and the dead. We are the ones who are saying there is only one way to heaven. There's only one salvation. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This Christmas time, and I, I love it that we give money to worthy causes, and it's, it's wonderful because, well, why do we do it? Because we've been given, right? Then we give. This is the way it works. Charity, Christian charity. But many times, I think those who are on the outside of the church look at us. They look at us as just another uh, nonprofit down the road, <laughs> you know, in the corner there. Uh, they're doing really good things for the community, and they're nice people, and it's helping them be better, and all that good stuff, kind of, but that's the minor things. The major things is that the church is here to tell the world who they are. I uh, read an article recently in one of my, that I had in one of my classes, and it talks about this interaction between the church and the world. There's much confusion about this. Some people think the church is above the world, and what we say, that doesn't matter what you think. Other people think the church is below the world, and you know, you're just another whatever group of organization of nice people, and you know, do your thing and stay out of my business. A better thing is that there are two realms. There's the kingdom of the right, the church. There's the kingdom of the left, the civil realm. What is the role of the church? The role of the church is to witness to the world who they are, what Christ has done for them, to remind them, you know what? You were created by God. All of this was created by God. He is Lord and Savior, and he knows what he does. He loves you, and he wants to redeem you, and he has given his one and only son. We witness to the world the truth of the gospel. Now in this, I don't know, anybody seen some political ads lately? I'm like, oh, it's like, here we go. But it seems like when those seasons come about, and I've preached on this before, people will say, we got to become a Christian nation again. I'll remind you again, we've never been a Christian nation. It is in our charter to never have a religion that dictates this land. We are overtly uh, humanistic and liberal in our documents to say there is no church of the United States. This is not a Christian nation. It never has been and never will be. But we are Christians living in a nation. If we were Christians anywhere in the world, it would still be our responsibility to speak to the world the truth of the gospel. What happened to John the Baptist when he told the leader of that country, get his head cut off? Are we going to get our head cut off? Maybe. I don't know. But it's okay because we're going to be found in Christ in the last day. This is the bold proclamation of the church. We have the privilege to say to the world, yes, you're broken, so are we. But the great news is there is a solution to the sin and death problem. It is through Jesus Christ. And at Christmas time, we have a maybe more unique opportunity to speak the truth in love, right? Because why did God send Jesus? Because he so loved the entire world. He didn't send him just for you and for me. He sent him to die for the sins of the world. This is the Christmas gift the church gives to the world. So for 2,000 years, the church has been proclaiming this. For 2,000 years, we've been giving this gift to the world of the gospel. 
this good news of salvation through Jesus. So this Christmas gift, so how's this? I thank God for the gift of his son, that he came in a low and humble way, that he brought himself down to be a creature just like me so that he could live a perfect life that I could not live, to be the once-for-all sacrifice that I could never be, to atone for the sins of the world and to give me all of the righteousness that he deserves. He gives it to me and he gives it to you. I thank him for the gift of faith. I I thank him for the gift of the word. I thank him for the gift of the resurrection. I thank him for the gift that knowing he is coming back, that we don't have to be like this forever, that we get to, like we had Lord's Supper today, that we will be joined with those who have gone before us in the faith. This is the second advent that the church is preparing for. Yes, it's Christmas time. We have decorations. We have presents. We're looking forward to all of our celebrations and rejoicing the incarnation. But even more importantly, we need to be ready for his second coming, that we need to be aware to know that the time is near. The time is short. And the great thing is you don't have to wait till Christmas Day or the second coming. The kingdom has already come to you. The kingdom lives in you. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit that lives in you reminds you daily that you are forgiven, that you are free. It is your identity. Those are the gifts that we freely get every day. And this is the, the words we want to share with the world during Christmas. I've been studying hard about doubting Thomas. In fact, I've spent way too many hours studying those verses because I have the paper that's due tomorrow over it. I think I'm 99% done. Anyway, anyway, doubting Thomas, the biggest thing I've learned about doubting Thomas is that he's no different than the rest of us. Jesus shows up to Mary Magdalene. She doesn't recognize Jesus until he reveals himself. He shows up to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him until he reveals himself. Thomas is like, I don't care what you're telling me. I'm not going to believe it no matter what until Jesus reveals himself. So for all of us who believe and have not seen the Lord, I haven't seen him yet. Anybody else? The closest I ever get to see him is right here. His very body and blood. His kingdom is unseen. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom has come in us. And every time a Christian or a church proclaims this, it is an outpost of the kingdom. The kingdom has come and will come. And as the church militants, may we continue to proclaim this truth that there is hope, that there is a There was a guy who lived 2,000 years ago that John the Baptist prepared the way for that we too are preparing our hearts for by repenting, believing, and baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So church, are you ready for Advent? I know I am. So repent and believe because the kingdom is near. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas, by the way. Uh, we'll stay seated while the, I don't know if, if somebody in the back would give the elders a heads up that I'm done, that would be great. Because sometimes, yeah. All right, so while they're getting those back in there, we'll, uh, 
This is the children's church question of the day. Again, these are things to encourage you to bridge Sunday morning to when you leave this place. Talk about it on your way. Uh, for help parents of children and each other. Uh, does, does God allow evil, and does that evil ultimately lead to something good? Uh, here's, a, here's a little cheater. Uh, God made everything good, and then we screwed it up, okay? So he didn't make the evil part. That was the curse that we deserve. But the great news is he even uses evil things for good, a.k.a. the cross. <laughs> That's an evil thing that he made for good. Um, so how about we, while they're coming in here, we'll do a, a prayer. So will you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Advent season. We thank you for John the Baptist who prepared the way of your people. We thank you for um, preparing our hearts, for giving us uh, your son and uh, for giving us the ability to even know you. Heavenly Father, as people that of your of the church that we would be militant about telling others about you to remind ourselves that you are coming back uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit enable us to live out this faith and to um, enjoy enjoy the gifts of the season and enjoy the gift of having this peace that surpasses all human understanding amen all right we'll have you stand now and we'll receive the benediction The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful week.